Awesome God and our Father, we thank you this afternoon for another time to fellowship with one another. Thank you for the access you've given to us to relate by your Spirit. We ask this afternoon that you answer the questions on our hearts, dissolve the doubts, and every riddle you will resolve in our hearts. And together as a church, we behold Jesus Christ, your Son, even as he sees us in him. And all this is glorified as we are edified, built up, and powered by the power of the Holy Spirit, alongside those who hear us every day in the body of Christ and the body of Christ. Amen. All right, Luke 11. <laughs> all right. You're in church. Now, um, here's Jesus. He says that if a son, verse 11, asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him, um, will he for a fish give him serpent? If he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, hold on, hold on one second. If somebody should ask you for fish and you gave him a serpent. No, no, no. It gives you, no, let's even say, you gave, he asked for A, and you gave him B. That B, is it a good gift? Because we said good is what? Fitting. Appropriate. Okay, so if you give an opposite of what was asked, what you have given is not good, therefore it is what? Well, good. So here's Jesus. If he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Then if you then being evil, why did he call them evil? Is it because they are bad guys? You are what? Huh? What's evil there? You have flaws. You are not totally fitting. Huh? You are not, it's not even they are bad guys. If you have been evil, know how to give. What's good there? Fitting gifts. That is, if they ask you for A, you give A. How much more will the evil... Do you understand? So the evil and good here is not bad, bad evil. Do you get it? Is that clear? Am I making sense? So, in 1 Samuel 16, if God's spirit... Now, today, if God's spirit should correct you, the Old Testament language will be evil. Okay? Is there evil in the land and the Lord has not done it? That is, if there's a correction and opposition to inappropriate things and the Lord has not done it. Do you understand? That's what uh, what's it, the prophet again was saying. Amos was saying. Amos 3, 6 and 7. So, it's not evil like bad, you know. It just means to oppose, to withstand, to just like in Numbers 25, 22-25, we found the angel of the Lord was called Satan. So Satan is again is a descriptive word. It means to oppose you, to accuse you, to, um, to oppose the wrong that you have done. Does it make sense? Ah. So it's not like in the Old Testament they used to think God was doing bad things. No, it's the language. So when it says, I create evil and good, which means that God separates that which is appropriate and inappropriate. Have I answered you? Have I answered you? Are we all fine? Are we okay? Sure, sure, sure. All right, good. Ephesians. 
We'll go to chapter 3 very quickly. Now, we said that the New Testament, right, is closed by the Old Testament. That's another one. <laughs> the New Testament without the Old Testament is incoherent. The Old Testament without the New Testament is inconclusive. So the journey of New Testament books, writings, and letters started from the Old Testament. You can chart the course by reading the Old Testament to know where they're added to. That's one. Two, we also said, now, um, I came up with another concept. We came up with another concept. Um, I'm, I'm just going to run through this quickly. And this is different from, don't worry, I'm, I'm fine. Um, that when we speak about, you know, we said codified language is when an author is writing about a book. And that author doesn't have to quote everything. So he codifies words and phrases. Now, there's another one that we came up with recently. It's not in any of our books yet. We are going to see shortly. And we call it the codified silence. Now, there is a principle that if something is not in the New Testament, it cannot be the word of God. So we often say, where the New Testament is silent, be silent. And we will go to stuff like, it's not in the New Testament, though you will see it in the 39 books of the Old Testament. If it's not in the New Testament, that's the epistles, it can be the word of God. Now that principle has a lot of exceptions. So we said the codified silence is an assumption by the writer that he is familiar with his audience. He knows the audience. You know we said that, for example, if you look at Paul's stay in Corinth, it was about two years that he taught in Corinth, Acts 18. Now we have two letters. Um, the first one is 16 chapters. The second one is 13 chapters. It's not possible that those two letters constituted everything he ever taught in those churches. Are you here? Let's look at another example. Philippi has four chapters. You know, it's not possible that those were all, that was all that he ever taught in Philippi. In fact, the Ephesus one in Acts 20, 31 was clear that he taught for three and a half years. It's not possible that it's just those six chapters that he taught. No. Just like Jesus, we see him teach for four days. And much of the content was not even in the four Gospels. But they told you where the content was. Where? The Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, um, where Matthew rearranges in teaching blocks what he taught, did from Matthew 5 to 7, when he was done, and you notice that in Matthew 7, Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus went through the scriptures. He went from Genesis, he went to Malachi, he came around the scriptures in all he said, whether it's the lost prayer, everything he said there, Collapse the whole, whole testament into one. You know very well that it just takes you less than 20 minutes to read everything. That couldn't have been what he taught for that long. So it was summarized and codified. So, but we will know the content of what he taught by the conclusion. In Matthew 7, 28, the people were astonished at his doctrine. All right? For he spoke as one 
who had authority and not like one of the scribes. That shows you that he taught from the Old Testament. And all his answers, all, came from the Old Testament. All. So that shows you that the, even the four Gospels had the codified language. Now let me say this quickly so that you get it. So the codified language summarizes. Now there's a codified silence where now this is, listen to this uh, technically because like I said I'm still explaining it within my teachings church. So I'm just going to give you what I've told them yet. Now let me use Pastor Gilbert as an example. He says he says next week we're going to teach on prayer. That's what we're going to teach about. Now, the week before, he taught on walking in love. The week before that, evangelism. The week before that, relationships. The week before that, um, maybe being led by the Spirit. So you now came in when he was teaching on prayer. One service. And now has his teaching because, same way I've been speaking since, and I said, I said it in March. I said it, you know, I kept saying, so I left some things without saying them again. I have an assumption that you came in March. He has the assumption that this is my church. Now, someone now comes and says, everything he said in this service about prayer is all he ever taught the church. No. That can be possible. Maybe this is the only one you were present at. Or let's even assume that maybe... For special reasons, it says, let us record this one. We don't record our teachings, but let's record this one for a purpose because we want to deal with prayer. And then they deal with, it deals with prayer here. But there are other ones that were not recorded. So how do I get the ones he had taught before? It won't be in this recording. I could go to the members and get it from their notes. Now, take that to Paul. Why did he write the letters? He wrote the letters because there were issues. That wasn't the main subject he taught the churches. The main subject he taught the churches was the Old Testament. So as he's writing the epistles, he might be silent on issues because they were not immediate. It doesn't mean that he never taught those things. Are you following what I'm saying? If it's, the, if it's in the Old Testament, he taught it. Are you here? The fact that it's not in the epistles doesn't mean it should not be taught. Anything in the Bible must be taught. Anything. Genealogy will teach. Because everybody taught genealogy. For Matthew and Luke to retain genealogy, then genealogy is important. They taught it. Are you following what I'm saying? So, let's look at an example of someone say, I don't give tithes. Now, don't get scared yet. Tithe is not in the New Testament. None of the apostles taught tithes. I'll tell you why. Tithe is only in the four Gospels. Now, relax. So don't think you are about to start paying 10%. Relax. Just calm down, okay? <laughs> you know, there are subjects my friend used to make those days in the 90s. He said, there are issues that we can't resolve here on earth. He said, one of them is tight. 
He said, brethren, we don't agree. As long as it is money. <laughs> so I do agree with him finally. Now, why didn't Paul talk about Tyson? Or Peter? Or James? The only reference is Hebrews 7. And that was the writer of Hebrews. And he was making a historical conversation. Genesis 14. So we go back to the Old Testament. So that it's going to make sense. Did the New Testament writers teach tithe? The first thing is no. Because you won't find tithe beyond just one verse. Hebrews 7. But does that mean they did not? Relax. Hebrews 7 leads you back to Genesis 14. Now notice very well that when Abraham offered tithe to Melchizedek, it was called a war spoil tithe. War, war spoil. War, spoils of war tithe. He said, look, I'll give a tenth of it to a noble. And then he did. The second, I'm talking before Moses. The second person was his grandson, Jacob, who said, if you will protect me from my enemies, I will give you a tenth to before Exodus. Now, on no occasion did you hear God say to any of them, so therefore, guys, now how that I've delivered you, go and look for my man of God and go and give him tithe. No. Why would they offer tithe like that? It's because in the Chaldean culture, they gave a 10% to nobles or people in authority. Are you aware that that culture is African? It is African. It is in my culture. Where you take something and you, when you, after uh, everybody contributes something and give to the king or somebody in authority. It's in many, just the same way the use of the anointing oil, we call it the use of oil to sanctify a place and call it sacred. I know you know what I'm saying. If you've lived in your village or you've heard something about your village, you'll have known. Usually they'll use intersections in my village. They say this must be a supernatural place. They will pour oil, right? I've never seen that before. Why are you pretending? Raise your hand. Come on and worship God with it. Now, did they read in the Bible? Huh? No. Is it in the Bible? Uh, did they read that culture in the Bible? No. Is it in the Bible? Do we circumcise male children today? Is it in the Bible? Did they read it from the Bible? No. We act like the people in the Bible flew from somewhere. They had their own culture. So the way they will respond to God will first of all be in their own culture. So Abraham acted in his culture when he gave Melchizedek a tenth of his tithe, of his income. And Jacob responded from a cultural perspective, but the principle is not cultural. The principle of showing gratitude, honor, and reverence is God, but the culture came from man. Are you hearing this? So, when he gave to Moses, Moses to teach the same honor now said, pay attention here. Remember what we started from? Did the New Testament writer, was he, did he teach the tithe? That's where we are. Now, Moses now says, take a tenth 
It says, give to the priests who act like, let's call them servants on your behalf. He said, give to the poor. Give to the widows. Those who are strangers who come to do give to them and also to yourself. So, why are you giving to the widow? Because you know God ought to take care of the widows, the poor, the stranger, and eventually you. Of course, the Levite and the priest. Are you following me? Now, what did Moses do? Moses took a cultural practice to carry out a godly virtue. The 10% is cultural. But it's taking care of the poor cultural, the widow, the orphan, those who serve on your behalf. Huh? Come on. Does that honor God? But the use of the culture is the 10%. Are you following me? Now, a Chaldean culture that eventually is ancient Near Eastern where Abraham, okay, Abraham and his seed grew. Here is Paul. Paul is in a Gentile nation. If he asks them to give tithe, he will be transporting what? Culture, not the message. Rather than use tithe, did he ask them to give to the poor? Widows? Ministers? Is that not the principle of the tithe? Are you here? So did he teach the tithe? As 10%? No. But as honor for God in taking care of those who are in leadership, those who are... Come on, are you here? So is the New Testament silent on tithe? No. It's codified silence. Because he had explained to them why Abraham did what he did, not what he did, but why. Why Moses now took it as a principle, not what. So it's not a question of what, it's now why. Why must I take care of the widow? God is the husband of the widow, the father of the fatherless. He cares for the poor. So if I'm going to honor God, I will take care of the widow, the fatherless. Are you here? Do you understand? Not 10%. 10% is cultural. Are you here? Paul will come and say, each man will lay in store, 1 Corinthians 16, as he has prospered. So ignore 10%. As you increase, your giving increases. Are you here? That's the principle. Are you following what I'm saying here? So, was the New Testament writer, I asked you a question and you said yes. And I set a trap for you. Was a New Testament writer silent on tithe? Yes, but was codified. He didn't have to mention tithe, but we can see that what they were practicing was a principle behind the tithe. But you are not a Chaldean. Neither are you a, an Israelite. You can't be using their culture. Did the New Testament teach circumcision? Huh? The cultural one or the principle? Circumcision in the ancient Near Eastern world is how you initiate people into adulthood, into being heirs, into holding things. Now, if you start 
cutting foreskins, that's cultural. But the new birth is called circumcision. When you are born again. So, the principle, not the practice. Are you here? Are you following this now? So, you can see that the New Testament writer properly interpreted the Old Testament. They did not throw away anything. See, if Paul can see this one, Paul goes to this Roman 25 and he mentions taking care of the oxen. You know, you'll have dismissed it. Oxen, how? I don't own a farm. He said, do you think God is caring about oxen? He said, no. He said, it's not oxen. But altogether, he's talking about anyone who works for you deserves to be compensated, remunerated. He said, do you think God is caring about oxen? <laughs> now, what is God's own and oxen? <laughs> the use of the oxen was to show you a principle. Anyone who works for you must be taken care of. Are you following this? Paul goes to an agricultural law and he sees the principle. So, are you following this? The New Testament codifies silence is when the author doesn't use a word or mentions it because elsewhere he must have taught it. What we know very well is that the New Testament writer or the New Testament teachers taught the whole Old Testament. Their letters were subject specific. For example, let me give you one. There is no way you will know about tongues if you read Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. If you like, hard thought Timothy. It's not there. Yet, was it a major thing Paul taught? You don't even have to be told. Read the book of Acts. Tongues boku. You see tongues there. Do you get it? But did every letter speak about every subject? So, while he might be silent here, it doesn't mean he's not teaching it. We already know from the book of Acts that they taught the entire Old Testament. Are you following this? Let me see if I follow what I'm saying here. So, that it is not in the epistles, does it mean it's not in the word of God? No. Are you here? I, I don't expect you to start teaching the Old Testament tomorrow morning. You create a beast. That beast will be uh, the Antichrist. Because you would say nonsense. Just think. So we call, and I've, yet, I've not yet evolved that concept fully like I want to explain it. The codified silence is when an author has an assumption. You know we said yesterday that he's not writing to you. So if I'm talking, and I was saying that when I'm talking to Pastor Gilbert now, we have some things we've said elsewhere. So we might even refer to them or not. There'll be things I won't talk about again because we've already spoken about them. You, you now say, everything he knows about me is that single conversation. No. So there are other things that were taught by the apostles, not in the epistles. Is that clear? Are they in the old... No, that's not for you to now say, yes, there are things that are not in the Bible that were taught. <laughs> You're on the wrong way to hell. What I'm saying is, they did not denigrate, invalidate any part of the Old Testament. They taught it. Just like Jesus. 
So the codified silence is when an author doesn't make mention of parts of a book because you have already read them one or because he had taught them elsewhere. Are you here? So, the, the high point of what we're saying this afternoon is that the New Testament writer never denigrated, invalidated any part of the Old Testament. What they rather did was that they showed us from their writings that those things were explained. Is it making sense? Is it making sense? So, you can't say a doctrine is not true because you can't find the words in the New Testament. However, this is the warning. Every truth of God's word must marry all the books of scripture together. That means, you see what I did about the tithe. You know, you eventually saw it. You see it. Without the use of that word, James taught it. Peter taught it. Paul did. The writer of Hebrews historically referred to it, but that's cultural. But did he teach it? Yep. In fact, the way they gave tithe transformed over the years. It now became comings after a while. You know, it was, it's cultural, and culture will always evolve. But the principle that Abraham was practicing doesn't change. We honor First Timothy 5.17, those who teach us, right? Right? We, do we honor widows, orphans, and the poor? That's what Moses was speaking about. So if you take care of the poor, Jesus said to them, you saw someone in prison, he said, when were you in prison, Lord? When were you sick? He said, as much as you've done this to any of my brethren, you have honored me. Is that what Moses taught to? Yeah. The stranger, the orphan, the fatherless, yes, the widow, and the priest. Is it making sense? Good. So, the codified silence is where the author doesn't mention something, but by the content of that letter, you know that he taught the scriptures. So, you can go back to the scriptures and see what he taught. Now, like I said, I've not fully evolved the explanation. I'm doing it gradually so that people, because what I like to do is, so the concept becomes very clear to you. So whenever you're take, taking your Bible, it helps you study it, okay? So just leave it there for now, amen? Up up, Jesus? Thank you. Ephesians chapter 3. You got me totally off track this afternoon. But I'll be back in Christ. Okay. Ephesians 3. So we said this is a house story. Is Ephesians a temple story? Come on. Have you highlighted the heaven and earth part? The union body temple story. It takes you back to the temple because verse 4 says from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Which means whatever Paul is writing to the Ephesus church is consistent with Genesis, right? Come on. It's consistent with Genesis. So, Genesis is explained to Ephesus church as God's plan, his purpose, his provision. Genesis is explained. So, we'll pick on our theme. For now, I think that's what it will be. So, it says, 
No, he prayed for them that their eyes of understanding should be enlightened, that they may know the hope of his calling. This time around, he says, that they be strengthened with might, verse 16, by his spirit in the inner man. Now, let's look at the word glory. His glory. In the, in the morning, I mentioned the word glory is doxa. Doxa is the Hebrew word kavod. It's spelled K-A-B-O-D, but it's pronounced kavod, like kavod. Now, kavod is used for a couple of things. It's used for influence. It's used for, also used for riches. Riches, influence, authority, power. Riches, influence, authority, power, position. Riches, influence, authority, power, position. That's what kavod means. Riches, influence, authority, power, position. Now, listen carefully. So, if if the earth is God's house, right? If the earth is his house, right? What is his glory in the house? Let's take it again. What's glory again? Influence, riches, wealth, power, authority, position. So, what is his glory? Okay, let me use another one. Um, we appoint a man as, uh, I don't know, you don't know, you don't use governors here, the president of a nation. So, he's given, he occupies the position, right? He's the president of the nation, that's what he is. Now, what is the glory of that office? The fact that, look at when we had COVID uh, all over the nation. Pastor Gibbard to tell me that we're waiting for the broadcast Sunday evening. And he used to tell me, <laughs> you know, their president speaks, ours didn't talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> ours never used to talk, you know. He, he, he's codified silence. <laughs> so, he would tell me, we are waiting. You know, I said, what's going to happen? So, we should talk. He said, we are waiting for Sunday evening. <laughs> for what you used to call it something like that. It's new. No, you used to call it a nickname. You gave it a nickname. It was a nickname. Don't be mischievous. You gave it a nickname. I forgot what it was. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's someone. So the man just says, um, so we're all going to remain inside. He goes, oh my God. <laughs> and you say indoors. Is that the glory of the office? Hmm? That's the glory of the office. The fact that he can tell us what to do, give us direction, right? And uh, can we also say the control he has over the nation is the glory of the office? Huh? Right? Control. Um, the fact that, you know, uh, people are saying something and say, the president has spoken. That's the glory of the office. Now, I know in your mind you're thinking, what about the parliament? Well, put everything in one person. <laughs> the glory of the office. Now, sometimes the glory of that office can now be displayed in maybe how we are dressing. Commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Really, that, that's not the glory till he commands, really. But that's a show-off, okay? Sometimes, uh, if you're an African leader, well, in the 60s, they used to show that glory by what they used to wear. We had a minister in Nigeria who, you know, he had... Uh, a personal assistant that carried his clothes. 
glory. So he'll be walking like this, and, and his dress will be that long, and he'll be kind of like this. And he was minister for finance. That's really glory. <laughs> you know, but, but really, that's not the glory of the office. That's just a show off of that glory. The real glory is, I mean, let me give you another person. There's a guy like that. He's a president of one nation in the world. He's very short. He doesn't speak English. But everybody pays attention when he's talking. I know you know who I'm talking about. Everybody pays attention. What did he say? <laughs> I'm sure Biden will ask, what is he saying? Biden said, what, what did he say? What did he say? <laughs> so, which means that, you know what? Not Korea. Okay, fine. <laughs> did I hear bomb? 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 No, he didn't say bomb. No, he didn't say bomb. He said Tom. Oh, Tom. Okay. Did I say blow? No, he didn't say blow. He said flow. Okay. <laughs> so, so, the guy has glory, right? Because he can make things happen. Is that clear? Okay. So, when we say give God the glory, it means he has the influence. He has the power. He has the office. So when we sing loud, that's really not the glory. That is just the extras. Acknowledging it. Are you here? So glory is influence, authority. Are you here? Influence, authority, power, riches. So somewhere you see the word kavod used for someone's physical wealth. Why? Because physical wealth also is some influence, right? Amen. I mean, some of us have asked some sisters out and somebody used another glory. I hope that's not a word of knowledge. You know, someone said, well, I don't believe uh, 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 somebody should marry for money. I agree with you. But don't marry without it. <laughs> you know, a guy went, he took his a lady took her fiance to the dad and they went to the dad. And the dad said, let me talk to him. Okay, so the fiance left. I mean, the lady left the guy to the dad. The dad said, how are you doing? I'm fine, sir. So what do you do for a living? He said, God is taking care of me. I'm fine. So um, when you marry my daughter, where do you intend to stay? He said, God will take care of us. Okay, fine. Um, for example, if you're, you say, God will do it. The man says, thank you, young man. Let him go. So, the lady asks the dad, what do you say about my boyfriend? He says, an interesting fellow. What do you mean? He thinks I'm God. Oh, you got that, right? So, you know, don't say money is not glory. Well, until you don't have it, you'll know it is. <laughs> don't be money-minded, but also don't be, uh, okay, let me leave that. That's not my sermon today. But so, <laughs> so you have riches, right? It's also used as authority. Okay? So glory means influence. You know, we can summarize glory to be influence, right? Influence that stems from authority. Are you here? So I say, give glory to God. And I say, hey, glory, Father. And you have your phone. Hey, glory, Son. You know, you're lying. Because he has no influence on in what you're doing. 
The glory, Holy Ghost. Oh boy, I did church, I did church, I did church, I did church. I go call you. <laughs> you know, you're lying. Because if you give glory to God, you'll drop your phone, raise your hands, and praise him. The fact that your phone is one having influence, the phone has the glory. Is that clear now? So glory means influence, right? Influence. Authority. Cavard. Is that clear? Cavard. And let's see for Samuel in chapter number three. You learning something? You know where in that Paul, Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer, Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer in Ephesians. So, 1 Samuel 3. Mm. I was going to show you something. Uh, sorry, I didn't get the text. Okay, 1 Samuel 3. Let me just run there because of time. So, look at verse 3. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was so precious, or precious in those days, there was no open vision. There was no open vision. Okay? So he says, um, in verse 3 here, the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. See? Temple and ark are synonymous. And so temple is where you house the ark. Okay? So he says, and Samuel was laid down. Now, Pay attention to something. In chapter 4. Then I had a child. When the ark of God was taken away, they had a child. And verse 20. About the time of our death, the woman that stood by her said to her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered, Neither did she regard it. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory. Are you there? For Samuel 421. The glory is departed from where? Why? Because the ark of God, can we say the presence of God, was taken. The glory departed. So the glory is also identified with the presence of God. So I have another definition for glory that I can give you tonight, I mean this afternoon. I say the glory of God is his unique presence is divine presence god is everywhere no doubt okay because he, he runs the world so he is but there is a glory of god is his unique divine presence that he makes available the glory of god where he influences where he intervenes where he he demonstrates his influence he's called glory okay that's kavod Influence. The New Testament will call it doxa. Look at John 2. John 2. Here's Jesus. John 2. And verse 11. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. We beheld his glory. His influence is office. So glory is influence, office. It includes miracles, right? Miracles, signs, wonders, the glory of God. 
the glory of God is where he demonstrates his influence. Are you here? Are you following this? You following this? So, now let me say where I say a quick one. So, is the glory related with the temple? Why? Let's track back a bit. Go to Genesis 2, 1 to 3. You have to be very quick here. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. The rest of God there, we saw it in March. Is it a nap or his resting place? Now that refers to a place on the old earth. The old earth. So it's his resting place. Now, what has happened in Genesis 2, 1 to 3? The chaos is under control. Huh? Right? What was chaotic in Genesis 1-2 has been put to rest. Are you here? So the rest place of God is also a place of control. Are you here? So God's house, God's temple, can we call it a control room? Huh? HQ. Where he controls things. It's a place of control. A place of authority. Huh? So run through the word ark. So ark, temple, are they synonymous? So when we say the ark is gone, the glory is gone, what else is gone? The control influence is gone. So glory, ark, temple, can we slot in the spirit of God? Is it working? Genesis 1-2, the spirit was moving over the face of the waters, right? So is the spirit of God is influence? Huh? His glory? His control? Are you here? Let me just throw one quickly inside. Genesis 6 and 2. He saw the wickedness of men and all that. And 3 says, My spirit shall no longer abide with man for his flesh. His days shall be 120. So what happened in Noah's time was the spirit of God departed. Right? And everything collapsed into chaos. So what happened in Noah's time was we are back to Genesis 1-2. Are you here? So that is where the spirit is not influencing, we have what? Chaos. Where the spirit comes in, we have control. And that control is called the tabernacle of God and the house of God. I know I'm a bit fast. It's deliberate. The tabernacle of God, the house of God. So we're looking at the word glory. So we can exchange. Can we say the glory of God is the riches of God? Huh? Found in the spirit of God. Are you here? In the house of God. You following this? Well, so glory is. So when we say Jesus is glorified, what does it mean? He has used his influence. He has brought something under control. When he was raised from the dead, he was what? Glorified. Doxazo. D-O-X-A-Z-O in the the Greek, which means to demonstrate it. To demonstrate it. So when he was raised from the dead, he's glorified. What if when we heal the sick, is he glorified? His influence is sin. The works I do shall you do and greater works that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Greater works. Influence. So glory is influence. Influence is the spirit and where God has influence is his house. Are you here? 
Is he following? Good. So Paul is praying a prayer. And he's talking about the glory. And we have said glory is influence, authority, power to exert influence. Influence, riches. Okay? Glory. So we can also say, put this in your notes, glory relates to the temple. Is that it? Is that it? Glory relates to the temple. Why? Because the temple is God's control room. Come on. Is that what it is? The temple is his control room. Let me see whether you are following us from March. Codify silence. In March we said, why did Moses build the tabernacle? Was that why we used 3D? We said, God was already in their midst. So the essence of the tabernacle was to show them what he was doing in their midst. Let me say it again. He did not need a tabernacle when he saved them from Egypt. He was with them through the wilderness. He was with them. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. The essence of that tabernacle is like you want to show people your plans. Then you show to them in a picture. Then he uses what they understood to explain what he was doing. Nobody, listen carefully, nobody in Israel thought that God needed a place. He wanted to go and rent a house. No. But they needed to see physically and interact with it to understand what God was doing. So I said to us the last time that the physical tabernacle was like a lesson, like a tutorial. That is why the writer of Hebrews said, when Moses was about to build it, God warned him, see to it that you build according to what? According to what? Pattern. Now, if you are building according to pattern, that means we both know that that's not original. According to the pattern of what? My plan. So Moses will see what God is doing, then put it in a picture. That's all. That's all he had to do. So, the physical tabernacle was never meant to be permanent. They knew it. Remember 2 Samuel 7, you can go there quickly. Here's David. He's now a big boy. You know, David was a was the kind of guy his father forgot that he was his son. Some allowed to say, is there no more? So, oh, I have one guy like that. He's, he's with the sheep. Samuel said, we will not sit down till he comes. Then he anoints David, his king. After a while, David is now very comfortable. He's a wealthy guy. He has enough time to look for Bathsheba. He's wealthy, he's wealthy, he's a big boy. Then he calls the prophet and says, prophet, can I see you? So, yeah. I'm thinking, this David is already comfortable. He has, uh, he has Apple products, Apple, Apple bathroom, Apple bed. So he said, um, I'm just looking at God's house. David said that. He's not looking touche. He's not looking cool. Can we build God a house? He's now a comfortable guy, right? So the prophet said, I'll tell him. The prophet, he had a board meeting with God. He said, oh, well, before I forget, 
That guy you took from the sheepfold. <laughs> he said that you are not elitist enough. That look at where you dwell. That's how the prophet must have said it. That's my own translation, right? He said, he wants to build you a house. And God responded. He said, I was with you from Egypt through the wilderness. I've been fine. And God answered David back, no, I will build you a house. <laughs> and he said, that house will be your children and your children's children in all the earth. David was forgetting what God, who he was. So when his son finally built a, a temple, he said, we know that heaven cannot continue. This is just a figure of speech. Samuel, I mean Solomon said that in 1 Kings 8. So David will get up and say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. He had enough sense to say that. I will dwell where? Do you think he was talking about the tabernacle that was not built? He knew the house of the Lord is where? 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 <laughs> I got you where I wanted you. Where's the house of the Lord? Was talking about heaven when he dies? Nope. This is his house. Amen. <laughs> Forever. David said that. I know you think it's church. <laughs> surely, turn to your neighbor and say, Surely, surely. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, do you ever dwell? Don't you leave? Don't you go home? <laughs> So, glory is temple language, okay? Are you here? Glory is temple language. Glory is temple language. Glory is temple language. John 1, 14. The word. Uh-huh. I know you know it now. Yesterday we said the word is not speech. What is it? Huh? Huh? Expression. It can be seen, heard touched. So, John 1, 14, go there quickly. The word became an uh -uh, tabernacle. Temple language. And we beheld because glory is glory is what? Temple language. In John 14, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Temple language. I go to prepare a place for you, verse 2. Then I go and come back to receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. Then he says in that day, the day what? The day that you are in the father's house. Whatever you ask the father, whatever you ask that I will do, that the father may be temple language. When Jesus was going to be raised from, he said, glorify me with yourself. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, was that the temple being built? So, he used glorify because glory is temple language. You good? Are you good? Because don't forget, temple is control, influence, authority. Okay? Are you here? That's why we as the church were called the temple of God. The house of God. Individually, temple and house of God. 
So, learning something? Are you okay? So, we're looking at Paul's prayer. See where glory has taken us to. Throughout the scriptures, influence, influence, authority. And we can interchange the word temple, or sorry, glory with the spirit of God. Because the glory of God is Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. So when Moses was going to build the tabernacle, Numbers 25, are you in church? Numbers 20, no, no, Numbers 40 actually. That's in Numbers. Exodus, what's wrong? I'm moving too quickly. Exodus 40. Okay, Exodus 40, verse 33. And he read up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. That is, they are now done with building the tabernacle. Tabernacle is just like temple. Temple is a fixed place. Tabernacle is a moving tent, but they function the same way. Is that clear? So he says, so Moses finished the work. Any echoes? Any echoes? 2 verse 1 to 3, right? That is, okay, so, so is, this a, is this a landmark? Moses finished. If Genesis 2, 1 to 3 is a house story, Moses has built after that pattern, right? So he finished. Are you with me? So what happened? Verse 34, let's go. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now what are they seeing? Are they seeing the future of the earth? Talk to me. Are they seeing the future of the earth? Huh? Where the influence of God will cover the whole earth. Is that it? Because you know, tabernacle is temple. Is temple a mini earth? Huh? Oh, good. So look at 35. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud there abroad and the glory of the Lord filled, filled the tabernacle. Did it happen to Solomon too? It did. It's to show you where we are going. Remember, Genesis is to point to where we're going to. This is where we're going. God will influence the whole earth. You get it? That's where we're going. So when Paul was playing, you know, he said, world without end. He's praying according to God's plan. Is that it? So let's pick on the narrative. Learning something? Are you okay? Are you sure? Now, this is Israel. We said in March that God chose Israel to reach where? The whole earth. Come on. Okay, Deuteronomy 7, 6, 7, 7 and 6. You check that. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. He chose Israel to bless the nations of the earth. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. So it got to a point after 40 years of teaching series, seminars, Holy Ghost meetings, camp meetings, prayer meetings, they now say, we are not doing it again. 
<laughs> you know, God gave them so much allowance that they said, well, how, are we, how do we know the land we're going to? And they said, okay, what do you want? So we're going to choose spies to go and check for us. No, that's unbelief graduated. He allowed them. Go and check it. Those guys came back, seemed like the last straw. <laughs> and they said, yes, it's true. Um, the land is filled with milk and honey, according to the word of God. It's true. I checked the Greek and Hebrew word. It's there. But we saw the Amalekites there. You know, if there's something you mustn't permit in leadership, it's someone who speaks doubt and unbelief. I will remove you immediately. <laughs> I'd rather you do something else that is wrong. What did he just say? And he said, you know, the, and he described the bastard. And then Caleb said, Stop it. God has spoken to us, and we are able to go up at once and overcome it. They just said, Ignore this one, Jerry. It's not realistic. I said the sons of Anak are there, they are giants. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. So that you know what happened there by Numbers 14, it was now the whole congregation that began to say the same thing. Who to God that we perish in Egypt? Who to God that we perish in this desert? And God said, That which you have spoken in my ears, Numbers 14, 28. I will do. But before he said that, look at verse 21. As I leave. Now, why did he have to say that? Because, write this down, the mission just failed. It just failed. So we are back to Genesis 1, verse, verse 1, 2. To who? What who? As I leave, the earth shall be filled. With what? With my glory. Why did he say that? Because they just said, we know they'll do again. But he had two guys, Caleb and Joshua. So just like Genesis 1, just like the days of Noah, just like with Abraham, starts again. So Genesis 1 verse 2 true to 3 is God's method. He can start it again. He renews. That's what is called new covenant. He renews what he's doing in spite of the failures of the people. So Genesis is his character. He can do it again. New beginnings is God's character. There's no where you failed. God can start it again. He has failed too before. In the days of Noah, he said the whole earth. Are you here? Adam and Eve failed. In the days of Noah, in fact, the way that it was crafted, he said he think God to his heart. But he found a man and he started again. Hallelujah. That restart is what is called new covenant. He restarts it. He renews it. He keeps at it. The faithfulness of God is what we call new covenant. That he will not, he doesn't have a plan B. 
So when he said, we will go further, he said, as I live, the earth shall be filled with my glory. Don't forget, the tabernacle is a mini earth, right? A pattern and picture of the earth. He has showed them what he wanted. And he failed. So he restarts the work. He uses a new set of people, 20 years and below. I can start with those ones. Those 20 years, they were part of those who murmured. But I can, I can make do with you. <laughs> Noah wasn't a very perfect guy. He got drunk. And he's, he cursed his children. First guy to do it in the Bible. God walked with him. Abraham exchanged his wife for money. No, we have slave trade, we have wife trade. He did wife trade. Isaac, the son, did the same thing. And go on and on. God has never had a perfect situation before. The only perfect situation he had was when he became a man. <laughs> Guys, see, God does not expect perfection from man. That theory is rubbish. That's why he said, you need to give man a help. Man is from the dust. Dust means frailty. That's what it is. <laughs> so here we are. He starts again. And then the prophets speak. They, they peek on it. And they say, what's God's agenda? That the earth be filled with what? Huh? Let me fast track you a bit. The earth be filled with his. Change the word. Spirit. Now, when the earth is filled with his glory, it equals to his? No. Uh -uh. The earth filled with his glory is equals to what? His temple. We saw it in Moses now. When he finished the tabernacle, what was the first sign? The whole place was? So we said that is the future of the earth. What's the future of the earth? The old place is what? That means the old place is his house, his home. So field means it is his home. He has control. He has influence. You hear? Are you following this? So when he says, as I live, saith the Lord, the earth shall be filled with my glory. Change it. The earth is my temple. Are you here? Good. So, latter writers are going to pick on this. Because of our time, let's speak on the psalmist very quickly. You're learning something here. Psalm 72, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Let's take 19 together. Psalm 72. Let's go. Remember that? Blessed be God. Can you remember blessed be God? From the lips of who? No, before Paul. Paul came. Paul, how many years after? Melchizedek? Why? Heaven and earth. Are you here? Heaven and earth together? Is that the glory of God? Is that the temple of God? These things are interwoven. Are you following this? So here is David. He's praying. This is recorded against his name. And he says, Verse, seven, verse 19, let's go. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth 
with his glory. Let the whole earth be his temple. Psalm 24. So you don't miss this. I'm coming back to that later on, tonight or tomorrow morning. Psalm 24. The earth is the... What is he talking about now? Is that temple? The fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell them. He followed upon the seas, established it upon the flood. Who shall ascend to where? Now, what's the first heel of the Lord in the Bible? Thank you very much. You're cool. I like you guys. Who shall stand in his holy place? What's the first holy place? The first holy place? Eden. Good. He will cleanse hands of your heart. Who had not lifted up his soul in vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord, rushes from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him. Oh, seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift. Oh. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up what? And the king of what? Temple, right? The king of a temple shall come in. Oh, that's when Jesus enters the earth in his full office. Amen. <laughs> you see that? And the king of glory will come in. Because the earth is the Lord's. This is his house. That's why Jesus said to them, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to what? Enter. That entering is his resurrection. He returns to the earth as his home. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expressed them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, glorious temple language. Psalm 29. Who's learning something here? Psalm 29 and verse 9. Let's take it together. Psalm 29 and verse 9. Are you with me? Let's go. The voice of the Lord makes ains the calf and discovers the forest. In his temple. Do you know the word is glory there? Is italicized. Everyone says glory. It's his house. The Lord sits upon the floods. Where do you get that from? That's Noah. I told you the ark was his temple. It's upon the flood. And the Lord sits king forever. Because the ark on the flood is the temple of God showing control over chaos. Are you here? It's not a boat, it's his temple. Are you here? <laughs> he sits upon the flood. said, everyone says glory. Are you here? Let's go to Isaiah. Learning something? You sure about that? Isaiah 6. See what Paul's prayer is taking us to. Now, wow. In the year that King Uzziah died. Oh, King Uzziah, don't suffer. I had a sermon like that. The year that King Uzziah died. I won't tell you what year I preached it. Where is the King Uzziah in your life? Uzziah goes, which thing I do now. <laughs> I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up his train, filled where? Oh, temple, throne. Are they significant? Synonymous? 
Throne is authority. Don't think throne is a seat in the midst of your father's palace. Throne is authority space. Throne, temple, ark, synonymous. Above is two the seraphims. Each one has six wings and twenty covered his face. And with twenty covered his feet. Don't forget, verse 1 says the train filled the temple. His train, his train filled and the twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy. Uh-huh, let's go. Oh, finish it together. Can you see it again? The old earth is his temple. It's full of his glory. Are you here? So glory is temple language. Influence. Can we say, the old earth is full of his spirit? Full of his power, his influence, his riches, his grace, his goodness. All right, quickly, let's see Isaiah. We skip somewhere in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, learning something? Isaiah 11? Are you here? Paul's prayer takes us back to the Old Testament. You see? Imagine you thinking, Glory is a, is a brand new car. You get problem. And that's because you disconnected the New Testament from the Old Testament. Look at it now. Isaiah 11. You in church? Are you in church? Verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy. Are you here? In all my change the world holy mountain to what else? What's the first holy mountain in the Bible? Eden. Good. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Yada. It means experience of the Lord. Not Bible teaching, no. Amen. I know with Bible teaching, we, we, it's not Bible teaching, no. Bible teaching is just a way it happens. The knowledge of the Lord is intimacy, knowing the Lord, having an experience with the Lord. Okay? Are you here? The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Where does the waters cover the sea? I thought waters is in the sea. It's Bible language. The waters of Eden covering the seas of chaos controlling the Genesis 1 seas the waters of heat and the flowed from it can you remember the waters that flowed from it? as the waters covers the seas let's go to Habakkuk someone learning something here Habakkuk Habakkuk you're trying to know where it is right then put your bible you should look at look at Agai too Habakkuk quick one Habakkuk is just after Nahum. You could check the table of contents, you'll be fine. Verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge. So Habakkuk combines it. So you know Habakkuk has read Isaiah. Has read the Psalmist. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Habakkuk is also talking about the building of the tabernacle. A guy Agai chapter 2, just as a Zephaniah. Agai 2. Watch this one. 
He's going to bless you. Learning something here. A guy 2.6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it's a little while, and I will shake what? Heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. Okay? I will shake all. Huh? Verse 7. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. Saith the Lord. Silver is mine. The gold is mine, saith the Lord. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Which means Jews and Gentiles will be found in the same house. Are you here? So glory is temple language. Let me see if that's clear enough. So when you hear the glory of the Lord, you're talking about the house of the Lord. So this is a house of his glory, is it? Is this a house of his glory? Are we individually the house of his glory? That's who we are. So glory is temple language. As the waters covers the sea. As the waters covers the sea. Sea is used for chaos. Rebellion. And rebellious nations. He's saying the waters of Eden will flood the seas. Influence. Are you in church? So let's get back to Genesis 1. We're still on Paul's prayer. Amen. Genesis 1. Oh, bless God. Oh, lift your hands and just say glory to God. Does it make sense to you now? Glory to God. It means honor to him. Majesty. Hallelujah. Authority to him. Power to him. Everything to him. Revelations, you have created all things and for your pleasure. They are and were created. Darkness is for his pleasure because he will control darkness with light. Are you here? All things and for his pleasure. They are and were created. Genesis 1. Are you in church? Come on. And verse 26. Let us make man in our image as our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and ever, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Let this 28 together. Remember, Paul says we're blessed. So see, let's say 28 together. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. Multiply. The word replenish there is the word malay. Be fill up the earth. Fill up the earth. Fill up the earth. So, pay attention here. Fill up the earth. In Genesis, how will God fill the earth? through his image. In the culture of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Moses, when they built temple for idols, it's still in our world today, they will put an image there, right? It's called a Salem. So we looked into the temple of God and who is his image? You. The image is the expression of the unseen God. His agency 
how he does things. And God said, I'm going to put my own image as man. So man becomes the center of God's activities in the earth. If he will fill the earth, he will fill the earth through who? Man. Learning something here. That's why when Israel fails, and he said, my glory will fill the earth. It means there will be a new creation, another people in the earth to carry out my task and my work. Glory is temple language. Genesis 1.28 is what glory does. Replenish the earth, fill it up with influence. We are in his image, right? And after his likeness. So when Paul was praying that you be filled, amen, the audience knew exactly what he was talking about. We have a job to do. Amen. We have work to do. Being filled. Being filled is influence. Run quickly Genesis chapter 6. So this didn't happen. Let's see what happened. Same word, Mali. We'll explore it tonight. Are you ready? Genesis 6, verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. He repented God, the Lord, that he had made man on the earth. He grieved him at his heart. Now, he says, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. It repented me that I have beat them. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Interestingly, the name of Noah is an interesting name. Noah means rest place. <laughs> Noah means rest place. Okay, so, so what a play of words. Then he says in verse 10, Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Let's take 11 together. The earth was what? And the earth was? So rather than be filled, with the image of God, he's filled with violence. Look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come for me, for the earth is what? Now change the word filled to influence. The earth is influenced with violence. So filled will mean increase, to dominate. So is this anti-God's plan? Huh? It's anti his plan. So when the earth was destroyed by flood, what was remaining? Noah, his family, in, in a temple. Temple is mini earth. Are you here? That's the glory of God, right? Then in Genesis 9.1, he said to Noah again, he blessed him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So God's work in the earth is to dominate the earth with the influence of his spirit. So when Paul is praying for the church, we read the prayer tonight. Are you here? Then in chapter 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine when in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. His audience knew what he was talking about. 
Now, people say, be filled with the Spirit. Then we say, it's in Acts 2 4. What about before Acts 2 4? The four Gospels. What about before the four Gospels? That's how we know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I think that's the theme of our teaching. Be filled with it. Does it make sense? We'll be fine. See you tonight.